sorry, not that eight. No, those are the fake ones. That's them. Oh, golly, that's not so good. Titus was teasing me that I would end up losing my glasses. Um, and here we are. Uh, it didn't even take me a minute. Um, they were in my hand, and I put them down, and I lost them immediately. Let's pray in preparation for hearing the word. Um, I guess I need as much prayer as I can, I can get in before we start here, uh, based on how I'm starting. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us, that all the, all the distractions, all the, all the sidetracks, all the little technical glitches that we were fiddling with um, during, the, during the worship and, and, and just everything, Lord God, that that would all step away from my mind and my heart as I come to you, um, as, I, as I stand here, as I, as I bring the, the text, as I talk about prayer, as I talk about scripture, as I talk about what it is that you desire of us. I pray that the members of this church, the people who are listening here and online, that they would um, hear from you, that they would be inspired to pray, and that they would deepen their intimate uh, connection with you, that they would know Christ more through this time um, and through hearing your message, uh, through hearing your word preached. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, last week, I... I uh, ended just kind of talking briefly about the prodigal son, and actually that's where we start this week. Um, we all know this story, right? I mean, most of us have heard it. Uh, Jesus told the parable of a young man who um, one day goes to his father as a younger brother, and he says to Dad, like, Dad, I pretty much wish you were dead, and I got nothing good happening here. Can I go ahead and have my inheritance now so I can start my life? And, you know, and... In ancient Jewish culture, this would be, I don't need that. Um, in ancient Jewish culture, this would be a, a huge offense. Like, there's no way anyone would ever acquiesce to this. And in fact, actually, this would be a reason to disown your son. Right? It is a hugely insulting ask. Um, just go, go sit. Go sit in the back. Or go sit with Rebecca. You can choose to disobey. Thank you. Um, more afraid of Rebecca. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling, and sometimes we do so with our seating arrangements. Um, <laughs> so this son, he has done this horribly insulting thing, and he says to his father, Dad, give me everything. I'm going. You know, I want my own way. And, and he does. The father gives him what he wants, and he goes, and he wanders off to a faraway country, takes everything, and then lives high on the hog. And he blows it all in a matter of we don't know how long um but he has lots of friends and he has parties and he has huge like 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 an entourage and then he comes to the end and he has nothing and a famine hits and he goes from being poor to being really poor and he finds himself in a place where he is feeding the pigs and he's looking at the pigs food and thinking man i wish i could eat that um incidentally those are probably carob pods, which during time of extreme famine was fed to poor people as a form of like government subsidy thing like you would. And, and he wasn't even getting that. And so he's looking for Jew again, like he is at rock bottom, right? Like he is at the very bottom, bottom, bottom of the barrel. And he is there because like for a Jew, number one, he's homeless, probably. He's away from his family. No one's there who cares about him. No one cares about him enough to give him anything, including pig slop to eat. And he's doing the worst job possible for a Jew. 
um, it is hard to put on scale what uh, what offensive, like how much they hated pigs. Um, I might point to when Peter was living with the tanner, and it was gross, and it smelled bad, and it was it was foul, and like still that was nicer than pigs. Got it? Like this is the bottom. He is at the bottom, and he is there, and he's starving. And one day he wakes up and he says, you know what, why am I doing this? I could go home. My father, even the worst, lowest of his slaves, of his servants, is fed regularly. I don't have to do this. I can go back and I can be a slave in my father's household. And so he makes the long journey home. And what does the father do? The father's sitting at the city city gates, which means he's very important. He has a very esteemed and very like prominent man, and he sees his son coming from far away, and he hikes up his robe. It would be like hiking up your skirt if you were, we don't wear robes everywhere, but like to run, this thing is like low because it kept the moisture, and you would sweat into it, and it would keep the moisture on your body. But like Jewish men never ran anywhere, and they sure as heck never hiked up their robes. Everybody got it? And so he hikes up his robe, and he runs out, humiliating himself, meeting the son who said, I wish you were dead, And he meets him there and he says, you know, the son starts his speech. Oh, God, I've sinned against you and against heaven. And, you know, I I just come to be a son. And he's like, hey, there's no time for that. Like, we can do that later. Let's have a party because my son who was dead is alive again. What was lost is now found. Why am I starting with this? Because as I was working through this James 3 text, I realized that there is a whole crazy parallel in this text and the way that we often pray. Now, follow me here. Um, we're in James chapter 4. If you're going to follow along, you can find that in your Bible, which are in the, uh, like, uh, the pews they should be in the pews. And so if you want to find that, um, I'm not putting the text on the screen this week, but um, the prodigal son approaches prayer very much the way we often do, and the way it's easy to approach prayer um, like, like so far we've talked about last week, we talked about not praying, right? Like that oftentimes believers pray wrong by just not talking to God and like not bothering to do it. We think we're self-sufficient or we're stubborn or what have you. And there's a part of me as I read the prodigal son story and, and I compare it to my experience of people, I, I genuinely believe that, that he probably fed pigs for a while. You know Why? Because feeding pigs and being hungry was probably a whole lot better than admitting he was wrong. (laughs) Right? Any of y'all ever mess up bad and stay in the messed up place for a while? Or you're hurt and broken and you stay there because this is what I have. Like, And you become stubborn or you become stupid. Or you feel sorry for yourself and you think, I just deserve this. But like whatever it is, I believe there's a period of time where the son has gone from not praying, like who, where he's not talking to his dad, where he's not even thinking, I could go talk to my dad. And actually where it begins, I was realizing this morning, it begins with he gets everything he wants and he goes off and he enjoys life. Because a lot of times we don't pray because we ain't gotta. Right? I don't need anything. Why would I talk to God? Right? Or we end up in the other extreme. I am ashamed of myself and I'm hurt and I'm lonely why would I talk to God now? I don't want to admit it. I don't want to face him. I don't think I'm forgivable. 
Um, and so he's ended up in this space, and like he's just not talked to God. When he was living wild, when he was poor, and then when he was really destitute, he was not talking to his father, right? Which is a little like prayer. When we pray, we're going to the Father and we're having a conversation with him. And there are times we pray wrong by just not doing it, by being in a place where we're enjoying life and everything is a blessing, we don't talk to him, or where we're so hurt that we don't want to, or where like we just kind of get tired of doing it. I was talking with Rebecca the other day, and she told me about like um, somebody else told her that like sometimes when we're hurt we treat it with medicine and like when it starts to get better we stop worrying about it we're not so urgent which is brilliant sometimes we stop praying because we have no urgency Um, but not praying is a way that we pray wrong and that's part of what james is telling us in this text Um, the other thing that james is going to tell us is that these guys were praying wrong by praying selfishly Everybody with me? And that's what we're going to talk about this week. And I'm going to tell you, it's a little like the beginning of the story. Prodigal son goes to his father. It's actually the lost son. Prodigal means, the word prodigal means wild and wasteful spending. And so they call him the prodigal son because he was wild and wasteful in his spending. But in reality, it's the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And the father is the prodigal one because he gives his money to his son and then he forgives him. He gives him grace in excess, right? Like, he loves in excess. The father is the prodigal one. The son is the lost one. Anyway, so the son, the, uh, in the very beginning of the story, he goes to his father and he says, Dad, I want everything. Why? Because he loves his dad? No. You don't ask for your inheritance and say, Dad, I wish you were dead. Can I have it all now? Out of love. And oftentimes we approach God in prayer from a perspective of, This is what I want. This is what I need. This is what I have coming. This is what I deserve or whatever. And we get that in our head. And God becomes a little like a cosmic vending machine, right? I threw my change in. Let's get my, let's get with the answer to prayer. Let's get with the miracles. It's, it's not the way prayer is meant to be. The proper place of prayer in our lives is as a starting point to relationship with God. Um, So last week we talked about not praying, and for the prodigal son, this is the point where he's wild and enjoying life and self-sustaining, and then at rock bottom and out of either pride or shame or stubbornness or hard-heartedness or like a sense of self-sufficiency or whatever, he doesn't talk to his father. He doesn't go back and ask for help. Um, Oftentimes we don't overcome our lack of prayer until we're at the bottom, until we're forced to ask God for help. Um, Ultimately, approaching God is ideally an act of humility, and we don't learn humility until we've been humiliated. Uh, And so the prodigal son is an example of this. Now, we're going to go into verse 3. I got through two verses last week at the rate we're going. So we're going to go to chapter 4, verse 3. I'm going to do two. You desire and you do not have, so you murder, you covet, and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Now, real quick note, um, you don't get anything from God because you're not asking him. Um, But like all of this selfish desire is what causes problems within the church. It's what causes problems in our own life. And throughout the book of James, there's this theme of friendship with the world and friendship with God, and trying to stand on both sides of that fence, right? I'm telling you as a guy, you cannot stand on both sides of the fence and 
for any length of time, and if you manage to do it for a bit, it's a risky proposition, right? Because the fence is always going to bite you eventually. You cannot, you cannot be a friend of God and a friend of the world. You cannot love God and love the world because eventually they will fight. Eventually you will choose one or the other. You cannot have two masters. You'll love one and hate the other, right? So, verse 3, this is where we're at. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. I have heard from many people over the years that prayer does not work. And when we have conversations about what it is that they're praying for, a lot of times they're not praying for relationship with God. They're not praying for God's will. They're not praying for anything related to God. They're praying because God is the vending machine. It is, I asked Dad for my inheritance. He didn't give it to me. Um, I could not find my glasses this morning, and Abby brought me two pairs. This pair is fake. I have it from a Halloween costume like 10 years ago, and I have not thrown it away. And she brought me a real pair and a fake pair. And I looked at the fake pair, and I thought, are these real? And I held them over my book, and I moved them back and forth. And you know what happened? Nothing. And a lot of times we approach prayer this way, where we say, well, I'm asking, and God still hasn't given me my gold-plated hot tub. You know, God still hasn't given me this. I still don't have a Rolls Royce. I still don't have an airplane. I still don't have an entourage. Therefore, it doesn't work. But in reality, we're using false glasses. We're not really talking to God. We're talking to us. Or we're being the spoiled brat talking to God like, you know, all right, I'm not saying your kids do this, but every Christmas, right? All right, I want, you know, a brand new Xbox. I want three Xboxes so I can use one on this day. I want to, you know, it's ridiculous. And it's not good for them ultimately. Um, And so prayer in self-interest doesn't work. You cannot ask things for God um, out of your selfishness and expect that God will answer. Um, And beyond that, beyond that, um, asking in selfishness prevents us from receiving an answer. It prevents us from getting what we seek. And I think we'll get to that in a minute. Let me follow my outline so I'm not just all over the place. Um, In verse 3, actually, we're going to go back to this verse. Therefore, uh, hold on, uh, you... You ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passion. Spend it is literally a financial word. So James employs a financial word because we are treating God in a transactional sense. If I approach God in a transactional sense, I'm approaching him the same way the son approached the father. It is selfishness. I I want what I want. Um, I will ask you real quick, when it comes to your friends or your spouse, or your parents, if you treat them as a transaction, if you treat your relationship as a transaction, is your marriage going to get better? Lots of close friends who trust you? No, because there's got to be a selfless element to relationship. And there's got to be a selfless component to anything you love, because love is not about you, it's about them. And so as we approach God, if we're approaching it from a spending perspective, like the son who then turns around and spends it on his wild living, which is really what drew me to this, right? He says, so you can spend it on your own passions. And so people will pray, God, give me authority. Give me finances. Give me this. Give me that. And God does not give us those things because we're just going to spend it poorly. Um, My children often ask for money, and I am slow to give them money. You know why? Because I don't have any. And I don't have any because my wife doesn't give me money because I spend it poorly. (laughs) 
I, I might give my son $5 and he'll come back. I think, actually, I can't remember if it was Titus or Abby once. I, they got $5 and they came back from the, from the um, grocery store with a grocery bag full of vending machine toys. And they had just thrown quarter after quarter into the vending machines and collected up like $5 worth of vending machine toys. It was ridiculous. Like, absolutely ridiculous. But God does not give us when we spend wildly. Even worse... Sometimes God gives us what we ask for. Um, there's a line I was reading this morning. Actually, this was incidental. It was a part of um, what I was doing my morning prayer and my, my reflection time. And I came across this line in this book by Lewis. Um, and he says, uh, but the kind which we exercise by prayer is not like that. He was talking about different ways that we can influence the world around us. God has left himself a dis- discretionary power. Had he not done so, prayer would, have, would be an activity too dangerous for man. And we should have the horrible state of things envisioned by Juvenal when he wrote enormous prayers which heaven in anger grants. So sometimes we ask for big things and as a punishment, God gives them to us. Right? The son who gets lost, the father gave it to him and it was a punishment. Why? Because he destroyed his life. Because he wasted his inheritance. He spent his future today. And he ended up homeless and dirty and unloved and alone. And ultimately, that angry granting of granting of his request or sometimes the angry granting of our prayers led him to rock bottom where he came back and asked his father out of love but i'm going to tell you a lot of times if we get what we want it is not going to work out in our favor it is not going to be a good thing for us um oftentimes we ask foolishly and this is what james is talking about he's talking about this idea that to ask this way is to ask foolishly Um, Instead, we're to ask in humility. Um, We're going to jump over to the book of Luke real quick. Oh, goodness. Um, We're going to do Luke chapter 8, verses... Actually, that should be chapter 18, I'm sorry. uh, Verses 9 to 14, I think. Yes, it should be chapter 18, sorry. Sorry. He also told the parable to some who trusted in themselves um, that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this way, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector, pointing at the other guy. Now, No one prays like this now. Like, it would be ridiculous. But we often take this stance in relation to God. We look at the people around us who say, man, i I, got to pray for this guy because he is so wicked. Let me tell you what he's doing, God. Let me tell you why I'm better than this guy. It is a terrifying place to be um, where you see your own righteousness and your own goodness from the light of how much better you are than the other guy. You know why? Because you're both awful. <laughs> That's it. We're all fallen. We all need Jesus to die, like who died for our sins. We all need that grace. We all need that forgiveness. And if we look at the other guy and we say, oh my goodness, look at that guy. What a turd. 
like what I, that wasn't a terrible thing to say in a sermon, was it? I didn't mean to, I, I, the word didn't come right. Um, what, what a jerk. Um, <laughs> what a, what a Canadian. What a, you know. I have a Canadian friend who watches the sermon sometimes. I say stuff like that just hoping I can make them laugh. Um, he goes on, he says, I fast twice a week. I give tithe of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Why am I starting here? Or why am I going here? Well, because, first off, the Pharisee and the tax collector, like we look at Pharisees and we think bad things. At the time, these guys were rock stars, right? These were guys who were not looked down on generally. Jesus makes a major step by pointing out their hypocrisy. But the common person, like they looked up to these guys. They had a high opinion of them. Um, the tax collector, on the other hand, if you were a beggar and a tax collector gave you money, you were required by Jewish law to give it back. Because it was blood money. If a tax collector, you were like allowed to lie to tax collectors and it wasn't a sin. I mean, like, understand, we're talking about the top rung and the bottom rung simultaneously. And Jesus says, listen, the one who approached God hum- with humility, with, with a humble heart, he's the one who was justified. Prayers offered in pride and self-righteousness cannot, cannot be offered in Christ's righteousness. If you are your own good enough, if you are your own worthy, if you are your own God is lucky I'm following him guy, you cannot stand in the righteousness of Jesus. Why? Because you've picked your way. You can't love one and the other. It does not work. You cannot do your works, your effort, your wonderfulness. It is Christ alone that bestows righteousness. And with that righteousness comes humility. Why is that? Because it takes an awful lot of humility to say, I sin. I sin all the time. I, I sin in thought, word, and deed by commission and omission. I fail to do what's right. I don't thank God enough. I don't serve God enough, but God still loves me. Christ still died for me. I was re- listening to a sermon uh, yesterday morning um, where the guy was talking about like, how much money you spend on stuff. Like, if you spend a lot of money on a vehicle, right? Like, if I went out and I bought a brand new car and I wanted certain options and certain everything and I was laying out $100,000, I would be deeply invested in ensuring that it was done properly because I spent a lot of money on it, right? Like, I want that car to be built right. I don't want the one that was built on a Monday when everybody called in sick, right? I want the one that was built when everybody was trying. I want a good car, Um because my money is invested. If I spend a lot for something, I want the best. And I want it to perform the best. And now, in terms of our life in Christ, God spent the blood of his son. What does he expect? My half effort? My best or his best? I come to God knowing I can never live up to that. And I have to be humble. One of the best things that ever happened to me was finding myself in a pig pen. Um, at the bottom, because after that, I could never look at another person and say, man, you're garbage. I look at him and say, man, I'm just as bad as you are. 
Let's have a conversation. And it's wonderful. But it's a severe wonderful. Self-evaluation, or self-elevation doesn't work with God. Like, that's ultimately what it comes down to. Self-elevation in any relationship will always poison it. And so if you are in your marriage and you have to lift yourself up to the top of the rung and lower your wife down in order to be wonderful, or if you're a wife and you have to humiliate your husband and raise yourself up as the, the best in the relationship, your relationship will not be good. And it's even more so with God. I cannot raise myself above God it will poison my relationship with him. I have to learn to be, I have to learn to be humble. We go back to James uh, four to five, and so like like big idea here, guys. Praying as we approach God, it is about relationship. If you are focused on you, if you are focused on what you want or how awesome you are, or whatever, you cannot, cannot, cannot build intimacy and relationship with God. It will not work. It is poison. We're going to go to 4 to 5 in James. Let me see if I can actually find the chapter. I hope I get through everything today. I'm sorry, guys. I'm trying. I can't break it into a third Sunday either because we have uh, Advent next week. Um, so you spend and you do not, or you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. I'm going to hit pause there. You adulterous people. This is not the word that I would have expected him to say. Adultery is when you have one, you have a spouse, you have somebody you're supposed to be in love with and you're finding other people to run around with. Adulterous people. Why is he calling them that? Because they are in, in relationship with God. They have been like come under Christ. They are following Christ, but they're falling in love with the world. They're falling in love with their flesh, with their, um, sometimes with their anger and their bitterness, which is what we see earlier in the text. Um, with whatever, they fall in love with themselves and they are not faithful to God. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity toward God, meaning you cannot be focused on the world around you and God. You can't look at the menu and not order. You get what I'm saying? Like as men often say, oh, I'm, I'm married, not dead. I, just because I got my meal ordered doesn't mean I can't look at the menu. That's nonsense. In reality, that's, you know, adultery is what Christ called it in the Sermon on the Mount. But it is with everything. If self-interest, if my own righteousness is above yours, if my own need to declare revenge or to seek revenge or to hold grudge or whatever, like, like not forgive where Christ forgave me, like whatever it is, if I am pursuing my flesh and not God, I'm adulterous. And I cannot pray and expect that God is going to give me anything. And if he does, I better watch out. So friendship with the world is to be an enemy of God, is enmity with God, but that's a weird word. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is um, that the scriptures say he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, you sinner, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. By the way, let's back up and read 8 again here. And think about the prodigal son. Think about feeding pigs. Think about going home and saying, Dad, I blew it all. I, I thought I knew everything. 
I wasted my future. I wasted our relationship. I treated you like a vending machine. I treated you like garbage to get what I wanted. And I can just imagine, draw near to God. Draw near to your father and he will draw near to you. So he walks home and the father runs out to meet him. Cleanse your hands. He washes up, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. And again, like prodigal son, right? And your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. And what happens when the son comes home? Dad throws a party, right? More celebration for one sinner that repents than for 99 that never had to. How does he exalt us? He exalts us by giving us Christ, by changing us to be more and more and more like Christ. But a lot of times we have to find out that we need to be like Christ and that we need his Holy Spirit to work in us and we have to work with him in it. Not fight him, not resist him, not try and do it my way, but let him change us. Let him direct us. Let his will be done on earth as in heaven, right? Um, If we seek to fulfill our fleshly desire, we should not expect an answer Um, However, if we ask according to his will, he answers. And so the big idea here, like understand, as you pray, when we pray selfishly, God doesn't answer it um, unless we're really unlucky, unless we've really ticked him off. And then in Romans 1, it says that he hands us over to our sins. It's all downhill from there. All things we receive, like, that, that are done in our flesh rapidly lead downward toward the pig pen. And that is the reality. If I get what is not good for me, if I get what feeds my flesh, I will head downward. I will find myself at the bottom eventually. And so um, I actually read 6 to 9, which I was going to do the text with it. I'm sorry, I'm just running ahead of myself. TJ pointed out I do this all the time. Um, And so the mode of prayer that we take in approaching God should be humility and submission to his will. Um, This is how we learn to, like, like be effective in prayer. And actually, it's in harmony with the Lord's Prayer. If you look at it, the Lord's Prayer starts with, like, hey, don't pray in public so people will think you're awesome. Don't pray like this so that you, like, receive acclaim. Do things quietly and in secret between you and God alone because it's your relationship with God and that's all that matters. And then approaching God in this way with humility, pray like this, our father, meaning daddy God, right? Abba father is probably the word he used. He uses it over and over again in reference to prayer. Father God, like from a place of humility, like a child talking to their father in relationship, in relationship. Court in heaven, let... Your name be holy, let me be under your kingship, and let me submit to your will. The beginning of that prayer is all about humility. It is, God, you're in charge, and I belong to you. Take care of me. This is the lens through which I'm going to approach prayer. If I approach it from, um, my will be done, let my kingdom and my rule spread, I can't expect anything except destruction, ultimately. Um, We have to cleanse our minds and our hearts by becoming like Christ, allowing his spirit to fill us, allowing us to become more like him. That's a work of obedience. It is reading the scriptures. It is crucifying our flesh. It is confessing our sins to our brothers and sisters in Christ as the scripture commands. Um, 
And the more we do this, the more we belong to him, he exalts us, meaning we are adopted into his family. We are sons of God. So James 4, how do we pray right? I've talked about all this, like, don't pray arrogantly. Be sure you actually pray. Well, then how do we actually pray right? How do we pray effectively? James 4, number one, says that we have to pray, right? Like Pascal said that God created us with the dignity of being able to direct our own lives, being able to influence the world around us. He allows us to work to change our situation, right? I mean, like, there are things I can do and not do. I am going into December with high cholesterol and rising blood pressure and overweight. I have some options coming up. Some of my options will result in my eventual destruction. Some of my options will probably prolong my life and make me a little happier in the long run, right? God gives me that. He also gives me the ability to minister in his name, to love the people around me, to serve like Christ served. I have the ability to do one thing huge to influence the life around me, and that's work. And so it is with following Christ. We have to work and grow into him. And it does take some work. The other half is prayer. Um, I ask, and he gives or doesn't give, but I have to learn to pray in harmony with his will. First um, John, and actually I am going to read it to you. We don't have to hunt it down right now. Um, actually, I'll just explain it to you. Yeah. First um, John, there's a line that where John tells us, listen, when you pray, learn to pray in harmony with God's will. That means know God well enough, know his business, know who he is making you to be, become more and more like Christ, and then when you talk to him, talk to him in a way that fits his will. Why? If my um, Josh, my Josh, asked me for a motorcycle tomorrow, I could give it to him or not. But I could also buy a gravestone at the same time because he probably like act irresponsibly because he's a teenager, right? Eventually, he'll be mature, and I might get him a motorcycle. Probably not. Don't ask because I have to fight with my wife about it. But um, I have the option of answering. But if he knows what my will is and he says, you know, Eric, will you do this? Or Eric, will you do that? And it's what I desire for him, I'm going to answer yes. Prayer that is in harmony with God's plan, is in harmony with his will, is effective because he will answer. And then you might say, well, why pray at all? Won't he just do what he's going to do? No, because he won't do it if you don't pray. And actually, that's what James tells us, right? Like, you don't get because you don't ask. Part of the deal is God wants us to talk to him, and he gives us the ability to influence the world around him and the direction our life goes. And prayer does that. Um, And so we are to pray, and we're to pray seeking him and seeking relationship with him, seeking intimacy with him. we pray effectively when we pray according to his desires, not ours, um, which is essentially what James is saying there, only backward. The prodigal son talked to his father most effectively at the end of the story when he said, God, I, our dad, I just want to come home. Dad, just let me come home. And dad says, I, you are always welcome. You never had to leave. You could come back at any time. So it is with all of us. If you find yourself in the spot, by the way, that you have the pig pen nearby or you're in the pig pen or it's jumping up at you and you're like, oh my gosh, what do I do now? Or you're looking at your relationships, you're looking at how you're living, you're looking at your habits, you're looking at your secrets and the lies you tell. You're looking at like the things that pop in your head when you're laying in bed at night. If they are miserable and bitter or 
like you're terrified anybody will find out what it is or whatever. If that is the stuff that is there and the pig pen is around the corner, all you ever have to do is say, Father, I just want to come home. And in Christ, he forgives you. Through Christ, he forgives you. You are made new as far as the east is the west, like God takes it all away from you. Um, however, like we have to do that from humility. We have to do that out of a desire to be close to God again. Um, so like the last two big ideas, I'm just going to do these quick and I'll close up here. Um, we have to step away from our friendship with the world and devote ourselves to our Father. We have to live as adopted children in his kingdom. It says that we're adopted into his kingdom and that the kingdom business is our business. Why? Because we're part of the family, right? Like an employee doesn't care. I mean, like they care to a degree, but they're not going to go above and beyond. That's why family farms are hard. Because when is work? Always, right? <laughs> when is work? When it needs to happen and until it's done. And farm work never ends. Um, because it's family. This is what you need to do. If you're an employee, you get to clock out and go home. You have no skin in the game. You have no anything in the fight, like dog in the fight or whatever. Like, you're family. You're adopted as a child of God. And the work of heaven, meaning making you Christ-like and expanding his kingdom, that's what matters to us. And so we have to step away from the friendship with the world. We have to be in relationship with God, and we have to seek after his will in our lives and in the world around us. And honestly, I think there's this interesting argument about the older brother. The older brother knew what his brother was doing. Like you get to the end of the story and the father's talking to the older brother. He's like, hey, I've been here the whole time working, but that younger brother of yours, that son of yours, he went off and he spent his money on prostitutes. Did you know that? He had wild parties. He did all this stuff. Well, how the heck did he know that? And there's an argument that like goes, he probably went and checked. And instead of taking his brother out of the pig pen, he left him there. We all have a choice. We know people in pig pens. We know people who are struggling. We know people who are stumbling. We know people who are frustrating and unlovable. Many of them live in our own houses. We expand his kingdom. We love our Father by loving them the way that Christ loved them. This morning in uh, Sunday school, um, we talked about husbands and wives and loving your spouse and all this. And I had this thought that I'd never thought of before. 